So some of you know, and maybe many of you know, that one of my passions personally in life is boating. I uh, started out actually when I was in college, and then from since then I've just kind of grown in that, and we've been doing it in our entire adult lives, and probably as passionate now, maybe even more so now than at ever any other time in my life. Anyone who's ever gotten into boating, you learn very quickly that there are some things that you need to do to be in compliance with the law. For example, there's, there's safety items that you need to have on board your vessel, one of which is an anchor. Now, there are a lot of different sizes and styles of anchors depending upon the vessel. This is actually not the anchor from my boat. The one in our boat is actually too <laughs> heavy to be lugging around as a stage prop, so I just grabbed this one of a, of a smaller fishing boat, but just to give you the idea that of, of its purpose. And uh, pretty much anyone who's ever boated, you probably have some type of an anchor story. Um, I have two of them I want to share with you this morning just to kind of introduce this topic today, and you'll see why they uh, apply here in just a minute. Both of these stories happened on Caesars Creek Lake in Waynesville, Ohio, and both of them happened long enough ago that they were pre-cell phone, and that'll play into the stories here in a minute. The first story involved my youngest daughter, Michonne, and some of her friends. I don't remember how many there were, but we were out on an afternoon, so I'm in a boat with a bunch of either preteen or early teenage girls, which was fun. And... Uh, Always, always lively, and we were having a great time until I started noticing the, the sky really, really getting black quickly, and the wind was picking up, and we could hear thunder and see lightning in the distance. I knew that a, a bad storm was coming up quickly, and I had to make a choice. One of two decisions had to be made. Either we're going to try to make it back to the dock area where at least we could tie the boat up, get off the boat, and get into some safety place, or maybe get it on the trailer. But I knew that by doing so, we would be going right into the teeth of that storm, and it was getting black fast. Or I could throw the anchor out, put up the canvas, and just kind of wait it out. I chose the latter. And so we threw out the anchor, put up the canvas, and the storm hit, and it was ferocious. The wind was blowing cr like crazy, lightning, thunder, everything, and uh, we couldn't see a thing outside the canvas, and the girls are scared, and I'm really brave at this point. Actually, I'm scared to death as well, but I had to act brave so they didn't freak out. But finally, when the storm ended, and I was able to take the canvas back down, to my surprise, we were in exactly the same spot as we were when I first threw the anchor out. I was expecting the, with the wind as strong as it was, it would definitely blow us at least the boat into the, into the shoreline. Story number two. Again, out on the lake, uh, a couple of my skiing buddies, there's three of us out there, we're doing some slalom skiing, which is our, uh, our enjoyment, our passion. And one of my friends, his name is Rod, his wife Debbie was going to meet uh, up with him later on that day. So he had also launched his boat, but we had just docked it and anchored it just off the shore by the beach area over at Caesars Creek. And so he hopped in our boat, we went out, was doing some skiing, then he was going to meet up later with her. And we're sitting back in this one cove, just kind of relaxing, as someone had just taken a run, and we're just chatting. And I look off in the distance, and here's a boat moving towards us with a bow up way up high in the air, going extremely slow, plowing the water. And I thought, what in the world? And I kept watching it, and finally I said, Rod, is that your boat? And he said, yeah. And as I got closer, his wife, Debbie, was standing up driving because she had to see over the bow of the boat. And she pulls up. She is just livid, angry. 
Apparently, they had miscommunicated somehow. I can't imagine how that happened. Um, <laughs> on when they're going to meet, where they're going to meet. She's been waiting at the beach area. He wasn't showing up, so she saw the boat there. She wades out in the water, gets in the boat. The keys are in the ignition. She takes off, and she's driving it, and she's just plying the water. As she gets up close, she says, what is wrong with this boat? And none of us had the guts to say, your anchor's down. You're dragging the anchor all the way across the lake. It's one of those stories where, I mean, we... We weren't going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. And it's one of those stories that it kind of takes several years for the emotions to die down where you can even talk about it and especially laugh about it. But it's, we can laugh about it now. Now, here's the point. The first story is those times in our lives when we really are facing really, really tough times and the wind is blowing and beating against us. Man, we need an anchor that holds us. And the second story illustrates what happens when we either ignore the anchor or we have the the improper anchor in our life and we just are plowing through life. Can't figure out why we can't get where we want to go because we've either got the wrong anchor or we don't know how to use it properly. In this series called Christism versus Atheism, I'm talking about belief today as being the anchor of our faith and why we believe what we believe. And is that anchor firm and secure in your life to hold you in place during those tough times? Or are you trying to anchor to something else, someone else, something else? And you're going to have to make that decision as far as how secure and how firm that's going to be in your life. Because in my opinion, it doesn't have the same stability as, my, as, as the existence of God. But again, that's, that's a choice that someone, everyone has to make for his or her life. In our text this morning, we're looking at the 18th chapter of John. And Jesus is having a conversation with Pilate during this time. And Pilate is the Roman prefect or the Roman governor of Judea. Pilate was answerable only to the emperor Tiberius and Pilate had the sole authority as a supreme judge to basically provide law and order in, in, the, in the area in Judea. And he could do anything he wanted to. He didn't have to worry about prisoners' rights. He didn't have to worry about a trial by jury. He didn't have to worry about innocent until proven guilty. He didn't have to worry about attorneys' continuances or delays of court. He could, he could provide corporate punishment. He could provide prison imprisonment. He could provide, he could say execution, all based upon his his decision and his whim at the time. So Jesus is standing before Pilate, and he begins to say these words. He, he, Pilate, first of all, asked him, he said, are you king of the Jews? You're talking to me up here. <laughs> he said, are you the king of the Jews? And to which Jesus replies with, an, with another question. Doesn't that kind of bug you sometimes? Answer the question. But Jesus so often answers a question with another question. In this case, I believe what Jesus does is actually the best solution. He, he corrects the question. When he says, are you asking me because you really want to know this? This is the verses preceding this. Or are you doing it for some other person? Or do you really want to know if I'm a king? And so that's when he comes back again. So you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. 
And then Pilate retorted, so what is truth? I think Jesus recognizes something here that we call today a a mindset. Uh, Carol Dweck has written a book called Mindset, The New Psychology of Success. It's a great book. And uh, our, our player's box curriculum really utilizes the mindset, fixed mindset versus growth mindset. If, if some of you are involved with Provoke, back before we went into the COVID kind of break and went virtual, a lot of talk about uh, self-assessment and what kind of a mindset that you have. And if you see on the screen, the, the fixed mindset is limiting it's, it avoids challenges. It, it's threatened by someone else's success. Uh, it desires to, to, to look uh, smart. Effort is fruitless, ignores feedback, fixed abilities. That's a fixed mindset. A growth mindset is the opposite of that. It perseveres in the face of failures. Efforts required to build new skills, find inspiration in other success, embraces challenges, accepts criticism, desires to learn, builds abilities. That's a growth mindset. And I think Jesus is recognizing when Pilate asked the question, are you king of the Jews, that he was asking it through a fixed mindset. In other words, to him, a king was going to be a rival to Rome and a threat to Caesar. And so if Jesus would have answered yes, I'm a king, he would have been misleading Pilate because of his fixed mindset. And if he would have answered no, he would also have been misleading because he is a king, but just of a different kind of a kingdom. So Jesus is trying to correct the question by saying, yeah, I I am a king, but it's a different kingdom. My kingdom's not of this world. In fact, the people of my kingdom, they love truth. In fact, they will embrace the truth. They will listen to me. And so and then Pilate says, so, so what is truth? The scholars disagree over how he asked that question. And since we're reading it, we can't really feel the emotion there. Did he, was he saying this facetiously? What's truth? Can anyone really know the truth? Is he, was he sarcasm? Is he, is, he, is he sincere? Is he insincere? Is he just being impatient? Like, what's truth? Give me the answer. We don't know. We don't know. I think it's interesting, regardless of the, of the motive, that he's asking the incarnate God who says, I am the way, I am truth, I am life. He's asking Jesus, what is truth? So today, let's ask Jesus, what is truth? How do I know that what I believe is truth? Think about how we were raised and how we formed the first cognitions of truth in our brain, where did they come from? I know in my case, they came from my mother and father. They were very religious in their background, and so their teachings of me as growing up as a child, their rearing of me also had the tenets of religion in it based upon their understanding of religion. So I grew up kind of embracing those because that's how I was raised. Now, some of you is very, very different than that. Some of you had a very tenuous kind of a, of a relationship at home. Maybe it was very, maybe it's hostile, very negative, very hurtful. Some of you maybe are still trying to unpack those hurtful things that happened to you back when you were a child, and I totally understand that. And so you're, all, of our, all of our cognitions of truth are going to be a little different based upon how we were raised at those early ages and kind of the environment and the culture in which we were raised. I still remember, I could take you to the street corner where this happened. I was an adolescent at the time. 
And again, I told you, we, we went to church all the time. I think the day after I was born, I was probably in church. You know, that, that song, Sundays and Wednesdays, that was, that was our life. And I, and I appreciate that. I mean, I have no issues at all with, with, with how my parents raised me. I, in fact, I'm so appreciative of the, of the heritage that I have. But there were, I remember standing on the street corner with two of my friends, and we were just talking. We'd been riding our bikes, and, and out of the blue, one of my friends just said, um, I got an idea. Let's cuss. Oh, <laughs> uh, what? He did. He just said, like, let's go get a Coke. Let's, let's ride in the park. Let's cuss. And, uh, and I, we were stunned. And next thing you know, he starts just rambling off every single word he'd ever heard that he thought was a cuss word. And some I know he had to make up because I'd never heard of him before and could never repeat him before. And I remember standing there thinking, we we're going to get struck by lightning. <laughs> and even though I'm not saying a word, I'm collateral damage because I'm standing right next to him, so we're all dead. I mean, that, that, was, that was a cognition of truth in my mind and brain somehow. That, that, and I, you know, I, we were raised basically to be honest and truthful and to avoid, you know, we just didn't use language like that when I was growing up. And so that was a cognition of truth. And as we get older, other things kind of come into our lives, don't they? They, uh, Other peers, we have teachers, coaches, uh, other influential people in our lives, authors, Things we've read, pastors and teachers and churches and, or other, other organizations, we, things we read, things we listen to, podcasts, internet, all, all these kinds of other things all kind of begin adding to our, to our cognitions of truth. And some of those are very healthy and some of those are very unhealthy. Dr. Chris Thurman has written a, an amazing book called The Lies We Believe. I've referred it to countless numbers of people. And in the book, he talks about the things that someone has either said to us or we've said to ourselves that is a lie. But because we've said it so many times and we've heard it for so long, it sounds and feels like truth. And sometimes it takes years to unpack those kinds of things and to finally acknowledge that is not true. It's a lie. But I believed it for so long. And it felt like truth, and it sounded like truth, and now, and now I've got to replace that with, with the truth. And the only way I can do that is, is to replace the lie with the truth. But the beautiful thing is, is the way our brains are wired, we can do that. We can literally do that with our minds. I, I just love that fact. Uh, Dr. Caroline uh, Leaf has written a book. I'm going to refer to her in a minute. But before I do that... Uh, one of my guys from water sports camp, we've got to share this story because he had written to me and said, hey, I've got a, got a message I want you to listen to. And in doing so, he said, I want you to, uh, to hear it. And so I did, and, and it's a great little three-point outline on, on how to, what happens when we are faced with what I believe and maybe there's a conflict with maybe someone else. Have you ever been around someone who's always right? Don't, don't look to the person next to you. I mean, they're always right. Or maybe you are a part of a church that says, we are the only ones right. We've got the ticket to heaven. We're the only ones that's going to go to heaven. And, and then you meet up with someone who's from another church and said, well, no, 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 we're the only ones going to heaven. And then they meet up with someone else. Well, what happens when we have those, those moments where, what do, I, what do I believe? And is it truth? What is truth? So in this message... 
Here's three things you can take with you. One is know when to stand firm. He used the story of Daniel in the Old Testament. So stand firm is one. Love well is the other. Which is, by the way, that's when Jesus said he's full of grace and truth. That's exactly what that is, grace and truth. Stand firm, love well. But what happens when you're, there's a conflict in there or when you're right in the middle? And he talked about the uncomfortable middle. The uncomfortable middle. He said embrace the uncomfortable middle. Because on all three of these areas, you will grow if you allow yourself to grow. Because sometimes the things we're standing firm on, we shouldn't be standing firm on those. Sometimes we're not loving well enough. And maybe that's the conflict inside you. I'm not loving deeply enough. Or maybe it's time to, to, to draw a line because I'm enabling this person. So now I need to stand firm. But it's in this uncomfortable middle that we can really begin to seek the will of God and seek Scripture and seek our anchor and find out what, what is it, God, that you want me to do in this situation. So Dr. Caroline Leaf has written a book called uh, Switch on Your Brain. And the beautiful thing about Dr. Leaf is that she is a neuroscientist, but she's also a Christ follower. And she has, uh, recognizes the, the interwoven nature of both the science of neuroscience and the scriptures. And they actually, I mean, they do not conflict. They support one another. Listen to what she says. God builds into the science of thought this amazing ability to renew our minds which in turn rewires the brain, which is a, the neuro, a neuroscience word would be neuroplasticity, where basically our mind is, our brain is malleable and adaptable. And uh, he says, this means that each time a thought dominates your conscious mind, you can do something about it. You're not a victim of your biology. You can control your reactions to events and circumstances. You can choose to keep your thinking the same or change it which in essence is epigenetics. Now, I love Scott McGowan, who's one of my friends and vision team members. He, he said this so many times. He said, your brain is like a bad neighborhood. You should never go there alone. <laughs> you can choose what to think about. Dallas Willard has wrote this. He said, the ultimate freedom we have as human beings is the power to select what we will allow or require our minds to dwell upon. Here's how the apostle Paul said it. Now, remember, Paul is writing, this is one of what's called his prison epistles, which means he was in prison when he wrote this letter. He was in a Roman prison, not like a current day 21st century jail or prison, which is bad enough, but he was in a Roman cell having no clue whether he was going to live or die, ever see the light of day again. And yet through these letters, we find such inspiration, especially the book of Philippians, where it's just full of the rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. How could he write that while he had no idea whether he's going to live or die? But listen to what he writes here in chapter 4, verse 8. He says, summing it all up, friends, I'll say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. That's what you should meditate upon. That's what you should focus your, your mind upon. So here's a, here's a good little uh, test for you to do. Every morning, today being included, we have the opportunity to wake up every morning and we could literally write out a list, two lists. One list is your bad list. Everything in your life right now that's just not going the way you thought it should go. 
Maybe you've got a meeting coming up that you're just dreading. Maybe it's a, a, a fractured relationship. Maybe it's something that concerns your health. And you've, we've all got these things that we could potentially put on our bad list. Paul had his bad list, okay? I don't even know if I'm going to live through the day or not. He had his bad list. You've also got a good list. Everything in your life that you feel blessed about, that you're just thankful for, just make your good list. And you have the choice. I have the choice every single morning to say, I'm going to meditate and focus my mind upon this list, the bad list, and I guarantee you're going to have a crummy day. Or you can focus and meditate on the good list. That doesn't mean the bad list goes away, automatically disappears. Maybe something are on there because you're worrying about things that are never going to happen. But I guarantee you, you will have greater strength. You'll have more, uh, more joy. You'll have more opportunities and more adaptability to deal with those things on your bad list because you're focusing and meditating upon things that are authentic and true and genuine, all those things. So you, you can focus your mind and your brain upon the good things and not the bad things. Now let me close this message with this. I've got a few more minutes, so don't, don't get ready to leave. <laughs> Several years ago at one of the Global Leadership Summits, I was challenged to write out and list some of my beliefs that are core beliefs to list those, then second of all, describe what's my behavior going to be if I'm living those values, those beliefs out. What should it look like? And then third of all, and I'm going to call it, call it something else then, I'm going to call it today, what's my anchor? What holds that value in place and keeps it secure? And as I share these three, my challenge to you is, these are mine. But to give you kind of an example, I want you sometime maybe today, tomorrow, this week, just to sit down. If you haven't already done so, maybe some of you already have, and maybe you can just go back over them again. But, but what are some two, three, four core values, core beliefs? What do you believe to be truth? What's it going to look like? What's your behavior going to be if you live out that core value? And then why? What's your anchor? What keeps it in place and makes it secure so that you can endure those storms? The first one, and some of you have heard me talk about this before, is the, the word neoteny, the core value of neoteny, which simply means child enthusiasm, childlike enthusiasm. This is actually the vanity plate on, on my Mustang, so it reminds me every time I go out, I see that neoteny. It, it, is, it is one of my core values. You, you, I know a lot of you have heard me talk about this before. It just means I, I want to have a, the mind of, of, of a child when it comes to trusting and following God. And it's just, uh, I want to I have a, a youthful mindset even as I grow older. I, I, you can still have a youthful mindset. And that's, that's real important to me, especially as I get older. I just want to always have that childlike enthusiasm. Uh, my behavior for that is going to be that I intentionally uh, choose to watch out and look for... Um, Children and youth that I can engage conversation in, in a non-creepy way. <laughs> and I'm serious. I mean, I, I, I have that in my mind all the time that I'm very cautious of, of not of helping a child feel safe and also their parents feel safe. <laughs> but I, I just love being around kids. And I've been doing ministry for children, whether it be Southbrook Kids or my weeks of camp. Um, 
That's just a part of, of, of who I am, and that's, that's a part of my behavior that I want to make that, continue to do that intentionally to, to experience that. And my, I, I could probably, if I would ever, someone asked me, my, my kids have asked me, are you ever going to get a tattoo? Well, I suppose if I ever would, it would be the word neoteny. And, the, and maybe the, the only value of that at this stage of my life is that I would win every single time at retirement villages when they play the game. Guess what this tattoo used to say or used to look like? <laughs> so that's one. Another core value is, and this is, this is not this particular book in particular. It's a great book, by the way. But it's just the symbol of a book. That I want to continue learning and having a growth mindset. I love the story of Michelangelo, who, uh, the Italian artist who died at the ripe old age of 88 in the time uh, in the 16th century when people very rarely lived past 40. And yet at 88, he died. And one of his last words were, I'm still learning. My behavior is that I'm, I've challenged myself that I read no less than two books every month. And I've done that for a number of years because I want to keep learning and keep my mind expanding. Uh, the core value is Philippians 4.9, where Paul says, anything that you, you've heard, you've heard me say, you've, you've seen in my life, just put it into practice. So learn, put it into practice. A third core value is going to be exhibited on the screen. It's actually a, a sign that I used to see in, in parks all the time. Uh, leave the park or leave things better than you found it. And so my mantra is to leave things, leave everything better than you found it. Um, the core value is serving. So it could be leave this room cleaner than you found it. Leave the restroom cleaner than you found it. And so my behavior, and this, some of you will think this is funny, but my behavior that reminds me of this all the time is I wipe down the sink every time I wash my hands. The entire sink. Now, in our restroom, it's not the whole sinks, all of them, but just, just the one that I used. And it makes no difference if someone else has water on it. I, I just, and that, that's a reminder to me. And I've got lots of practice during COVID to do this. <laughs> just wipe down the sink. And that reminds me of that that I'm here to serve. And that's the, the core, the anchor of that is Jesus model himself when he says, I, I didn't come to, to be served, but to serve. So what are your, what are your beliefs? What is it that you hold on to that's, that's deep in the core of your being that anchors your soul? And is that anchor strong enough and secure enough so that when, not if, but when, those storms come into your life and it's going to blow and beat in such a way that you've never experienced before. But you're strong and you're secure because you've got the right anchor. And if maybe you're here just kind of plowing through life, dragging this anchor and like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. Maybe you go back to that little song. Just start talking to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... Um, Thank you for your word. Thank you for the anchor of scripture, the, the anchor of your presence that holds us in place even when we're facing really tough times. I pray for those here tonight, today, Father, who maybe are just in that point where they're in that uncomfortable middle. Where I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to do. Lord, may they just listen to you.
because you said every, anyone who is a part of your kingdom really enjoys and listens to truth and will listen to your word. So, Father, may they just listen and then talk to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a blessed weekend.